The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus heard of the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew in a boat to a deserted place by himself. The crowds heard of this and followed him on foot from their towns. When he disembarked and saw the vast crowd, his heart was moved with pity for them, and he cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples approached him and said, This is a deserted place, and it is already late. Dismiss the crowd so that they can go to the village and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, There is no need for them to go away. Give some food yourselves. But they said to him, Five loaves and two fish are all that we have here. Then he said, Bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he said the blessing, broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples, who in turn gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up the fragments left over, twelve wicker baskets full. Those who ate were about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite uh, stories that has really been really formative uh, for me and kind of my spiritual life and the way that I interact uh, with my priesthood and just the world as a whole is a, is a story actually from Father Walter Chiswick. Uh, Father Walter Chiswick was a priest um, in uh, the 1930s through, and then he died in 1980. And he uh, wrote a book called With God in Russia, uh, which is kind of about his story life, his life story. And then he also wrote He Leadeth Me, which is kind of diving into more of the spiritual experience of what he undertook. And Father Walter Chiswick was born in Pennsylvania, and uh, he started studying for the priesthood, specifically with the Jesuits, which surprised his parents because he was a bit of a renegade and very stubborn and strong-willed. But it actually made him, it actually fit very well for what he needed to endure later on. Uh, He would uh, hear the Pope uh, actually make an appeal to the seminaries, asking for seminarians who were willing to go on a mission in Russia. This was right after the Bolshevik Revolution and the start of communism in Russia. And the Pope saw a great deadening of Christianity in Russia and the need for missionaries. And so Father Walter volunteered and was sent to Rome to study more about Russian history, learn the language, and learn the rite as well. While he was in Russia, or while he was in Rome, and just before he was about to be sent to Russia, the borders were closed. So all of a sudden, he, he couldn't go. All that he had been training for was all of a sudden shut off. And so Rome sent him to Poland, which was the next closest, even though that it's a completely different language, completely different in so many different ways. But at least it was something. And so he went there and worked for a few years. And then World War II broke out. And all of a sudden, he found uh, himself, you know, between Nazis and communists. And communist Russia took over that area that he was in Poland and started to shut down his mission so that he couldn't even become a, be a priest anymore, couldn't serve the people. And the guy said, well, you know, at this point, you're just like, well, everything that he does for God is being shut down again and again and again. But he always sees opportunity. And so in this time, 
he sees an opportunity to be able to go to Russia. There's a whole bunch of immigrants who are working, going to Russia to be able to work. And so he hops on one of those trains and is able to work in a, in a logging camp for a few months until the Russians arrest him for being a Vatican spy, right? for espionage. And they put him in solitary confinement and torture him until he finally gives a confession that of you know, the crazy things that they accuse him of. And then keep him in solitary confinement for four more years, trying to get more and more out of him. And at this point, you know, in his life was a little bit difficult. You can imagine him going through this, right? He, he dedicates his life to God, wants to be a missionary. And so you think, right, God wants that as well. And so he, God would open up doors, right? Make him successful. Make his mission successful. Instead, he finds himself in solitary confinement, being interrogated for five straight years. And in that, he just says, right? There's certain moments when he says, does God exist? Where is God in the midst of all this? And beautifully, you know, in the midst of that great darkness, is able to see God work in him, is able to see the way that God purifies him, the way that he's able, where he's able to realize that he relied on so many things that weren't God. He relied on his own strength, his own success, the worldly, the worldly means of different successes. And so it purifies him. And then after that, you know, kind of, uh, he's able to be at more peace and he sends is sent to 15 years of hard labor in the gulag, almost dies multiple times, but survives, and, uh, and thankfully is able to finally come back to the United States in, in 1963 um, with a U.S. trade between uh, spies. Uh, and so, uh, but what I find so powerful about that is it teaches us in our common life where we sometimes experience difficulties but we don't experience the same difficulties as Father Walter Chiswick. And if he's able to find peace in the midst of it all, able to see God work, well, how do we find God work in our life? What do we see things at certain times in our lives taking us away from God? Or maybe think that God isn't present, or he's forgotten about us, or, or something is wrong? Father Walter Chiswick was able to find the meaning. And what's beautiful about it is that you see the fruit of it later on, right? You see the rest of the story. And often in the midst of the story, we don't understand what's going on and we're really confused and we don't like it because we're in the midst of the story because there's suffering there. But on the other side, we know if we trust God that he knows what he's doing. Now, I think... There are certain times when, uh, for a homily, I just want to reread what was already read. Um, just, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Did you hear what that said? And you might find that at certain times. Well, the second reading today, I just, I hope that you heard it. And I know for myself, it can sometimes be hard to hear it. But do we understand how significant the second reading is today? which I think gives us an opportunity to be able to, in any suffering, just like Father Walter Chiswick, to be able to endure, but not only endure, but find peace and trust and love and charity in the midst of the greatest difficulties that we're in because 
we know that no matter what the situation is, that the love, that we cannot be separated from the love of Christ. St. Paul is writing to the Romans, and I would really encourage you to read Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8. Those are two of my favorite chapters, probably of all of St. Paul's writings. There are so many nuggets in the midst of it. But he says, what will separate us from the love of Christ? And maybe that's a question for ourselves, right? What will separate us from the love of Christ? Will anguish or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? Or we can also throw in a pandemic, throw in cancer, throw in our sin, throw in evil in the world, throw in racism. And St. Paul says, no, in all these things, we conquer overwhelmingly through him who loved us. And he says, For I am convinced. Now this is the important thing. As Christians, we should be convinced of this, right? If we're not convinced of it, we're not going to live it. But St. Paul, I am convinced that neither death nor life, not interesting, death or life, both of those, nor angels, nor principalities, nor present things, nor future things, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither life nor death, whether we die or whether we live, can't separate us from the love of Christ. I think about a similar analogy of, you know, our experience is that we maybe don't always experience the love of Christ. Does that mean that it's not present? No. It's similar to the sun. The sun is always shining. It's always there. It's always present to us. But sometimes the clouds cover it and we can't see it. Does that mean that the sun isn't shining? No, it just means that our subjective experience here right now is that we can't see the sun, that it's not shining on us. And the same thing at nighttime. At nighttime, we don't see the sun, and the sun is on the other side of the earth, right? But the sun is still shining. The sun is still there. In the same way with the love of Christ. The love of Christ is always present in our life. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. And sometimes we think, well, yeah, but certain things can. No, no, no. Nothing, not even our sin, can separate us from the love of Christ. Not even things that do separate us from Christ separate us from the love of Christ. Well, how does that mean? Because the love of Christ is always there, ready for redemption, ready for mercy, for you, no matter what situation you are, no matter what situation anybody else is, Christ is there with his love. And if we understand that, in every situation, we are conquerors. We can conquer every situation. Like Father Walter Chiswick, in five years of solitary confinement, being, intervi- being interrogated, he is a conqueror. Not because he was really strong in it and he always had the right answer. No, a lot of the times he didn't have the right answer. A lot of the time he was frustrated. A lot of the time he was angry at God. But yet he conquered because the love of Christ was with him. And it conquered him. And ultimately for ourselves, we in this present moment um, can sometimes say, where is God? Right? 
Where is God in the midst of this all? In politics, in everything else that's going crazy in the world, we can say, where is God in this? Well, God is present like he's always been. He's always been present. His love does not, is, is there. But guess what? The world is messed up. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, right? We start out with murder, okay? And then it only gets worse from there. Where we even killed Jesus Christ who came to be with us and cured the sick, right? We're a messed up people. And it's not going to change anytime soon. Unfortunately, we don't live in paradise. Although I will say Wisconsin is about as close as you can get to paradise. But it's not. And we know that because there's mosquitoes. We know that because there's mosquitoes. But we don't hope in our life here today. We don't hope and say, well, I hope everything works out here. That that paradise will come here on earth. No, the kingdom of God will come. But it's not through us doing it. It's from the love of Christ. It's actually often in our weakness and our submission to God and his will. We see that in the gospel today, right? The disciple, there's so many people that are hungry and the disciples are like, hey, we need to send them off to go take care of themselves. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to take care of them. And they say, well, we don't have the means to take care of them all. We only have five loaves and two fish. Jesus says, well, give that to me, right? Give your weakness. Give your weakness what little bit that you have. It's not enough to feed everyone. It's not enough to fix the world. But it is enough with Christ, with the love of Christ. And in that, we have every confidence. We have every trust. We have every peace. That no matter what happens, we can be at peace. I know there's a lot of fear, and of course, most of you wouldn't be here if you were extremely afraid of coronavirus. But I think it's really important for us as Christians to acknowledge that coronavirus is something uh, that we should work to try to alleviate, right? It's, it's not good, and so we, we want to be able to help take care of the physical good of those around us, just like we help the poor and we help other people who are sick and the medical community is good, right? But we should not be motivated by, out of fear. We should not be motivated out of fear of death, fear of suffering, And that should not be our main motivation in the way that we respond to coronavirus. If it is, then we've forgotten the love of Christ. We've forgotten that Christ has conquered, right? And that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, which is the most important thing in our life. Not whether we catch coronavirus or not, but whether we are open and respond to the love of Christ, whether we are present to the love of Christ. And so when we wear masks, we don't wear them out of fear, of the coronavirus. We don't wear them out of anger for those who don't, right? We wear them out of charity for other people, out of a simple, small act of charity, out of a love of Christ and out of a love for neighbor. But we do not allow fear to be our main motivator. Be not afraid, because Christ has conquered all things. I just want us to really do that. Now, coronavirus is one thing, but I also know that we suffer with so many other things in our life than just coronavirus. 
right? So many other things with cancer, with, with family, with just mental illnesses, so many things we're suffering in this world. And just know that the love of Christ has conquered it all. And to not be afraid of those things in this world. Be not afraid. Bring what you can to the altar. Bring your love. Be open to him in the midst of it all. And allow the love of Christ to conquer. And in that, instead of growing in hatred, instead of growing in fear and anxiety, we can grow in humanness. In the humanness that God wants us to be, which is humans of charity, humans of peace, humans of faith, humans of trust. But we need help with that, right? I know even for myself, right, it's really easy to lose that peace, to lose that trust. And so we need God's grace. So we bring our weakness, our little bit of faith that we have, our little bit of fish and loaves, and we ask God to multiply it on this altar to give us his grace, his love, uh, so that we might continue to go out and live in the world as Christian conquerors, not with our own strength, but with the Christ, with the strength that comes from the love of Christ.